have a friend of ours that I've that we've been friends with for 12 years. In 2005, many of you may recall, there was a massive hurricane that hit New Orleans called Hurricane Katrina. And uh, through a turn of events, uh, my friend Ken Spicer and I were able to be a part of a relief and ministry team uh, at the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. So for about a week and a half, we were crammed into a 15-passenger van, going from devastation site to devastation site, working with those that were displaced, cutting down trees, feeding those um, on the streets that, that had no homes any longer, And uh, in that time, Ken and my heart got knitted together. Uh, He he and his wife are the senior pastors of New Creation in Banning, California. And for about six years, while Christy and I were youth pastors here at this church, they would have us come out and do their yearly summer youth camp. And over that time, we got to know their children. We got to know a lot of the youth uh, in that church. In fact, over the past couple of days that Ken, Eve, and Christy and I have been catching up, they would mention names. And because of those six years, we were deeply connected with a lot of those kids. And to see that they're living for God and walking in ministry and walking in their callings is really, really gratifying. Um, we probably about a few months ago, the, the, the exec team and I sat down, and as we were engineering the Philippians series, and as we were talking about Antioch Conversations, which is beginning in a couple of weeks, we felt like there was a, an instrumental and significant deposit that needed to be made. And as we just began to think and search and pray and collaborate together, uh, Ken and Eve's names popped into our hearts. And these guys are new to us as a family. They're not new to Christy and me. So I'm going to ask today that you would open your hearts wide. Uh, These guys are people that are like us, man. They are crazy about Jesus. They love the lost. They are church planters. They're church founders. They've been in this game for a long, long time. And they're just salt of the earth, humble people, full of integrity. And I think you're going to be so endeared. You're going to love these guys with all your hearts. I feel like today they have the word of the Lord for this house. They've been soaking this time in prayer. We've been soaking this time in prayer. So Antioch, would you help me in welcoming my friends, Ken and Eve Spicer, to come and bring the word this morning. Well, it is uh, a great honor to be here today. I'd like, first of all, to introduce the lovely Eve Spicer, my, my bride of almost 25 years. Would you stand up, babe? And I, I think it's so cute that Jade's just realizing that he could get on Christy's nerves. Christy, you're so sweet not to tell him already. I, I pretty much know that quite often. I never have to wonder if that's happening in our life at all. My wife is gracious to let me know those things. Uh, it's just a joy to be here. We, like he said, we've known each other a long time, and we've loved them since we met them. And he and I spent 11 days in the middle seat of a 15-passenger van just getting to know one another. And then after that, he did six youth camps in a row for us and just became part. They became part of our family. And uh, so it's just been really great to anticipate today and, and uh, be praying about today and, and um, you know, just uh, 
expecting God to do great things today as he does every day, I'm sure, in this church. We, we always say at New Creation, which is the name of our church, that we give the word of God home court advantage. We want everybody to feel at home. And so right now we've got one of our dear friends and board members that is there preaching for us. He pastors a church in Oklahoma City, and uh, we've heard they, they have a good time. I'm a little nervous today because I only get one shot at this. At my church, I, I, I get three times. So by, by, by the third service, it's usually the way I want it, you know. So I'll try to get out of the gate here pretty quick and uh, stay on point, you know. Um, you know, today I don't expect to, to share anything with you that maybe is going to be earth-shattering or something you haven't heard, but maybe it's like you've got four or five numbers for a combination lock. You don't need four or five more. You just need one or two. So my prayer today is that you would just maybe get one or two things that I say that might be something God could use to be transformative in your life. That, that he could just sort of align something in you, that you could see something clearly. And, and sometimes it's not hearing new stuff. It's just, it's just hearing something a different way many times. And, um, and so today I, I want to start out just by saying that, that um, you know, I travel around a little bit and, and do certain things and, of course, do a lot of ministry around home. And... My thing is this, is before we get started today, I just want you to know something, and you've already heard it today a couple of different ways, but you are loved of God. I want you to know that today. That, that is something you need to embrace, and it's something that you need to recognize in a sense that, that you know, and I, I guess I want you to know something about me, is that I'm God's favorite, and, and of course, so are you. And has anybody ever heard in the Bible about the beloved disciple. Does anybody know who that might be? John. And we know that because it's written where? In the Bible. But the, the funny thing is, it's only written in the book of John. Five times. Imagine how annoying he was to everybody else. It's like, man, could somebody else sit next to Jesus at dinner just once? You know, he's the only one that believed it. But he's the only one that had to. Because at the end of it all, he was at the foot of the cross. And the guy that was so focused on what he was bringing to the table, his name was Peter. He was running and denying. So let me encourage you today. This is not about you and what you're bringing to the table. This is about Jesus and what he has brought to the table. Christianity, and, I, and, and listen, if you're visiting today or, or whatever, just keep this in mind. I will be gone after today. And, and, and I hope not to, you know, uh, offend anybody, but I do hope that I say something that will cause you to think about things perhaps differently. But I want you to know something, that Christianity is not about bad people becoming good. It's not even about good people getting better. Because if you're focused on getting better, you're getting worse. This is about dead people being alive. And let me tell you something about what Jade said earlier. Man, I was just about to jump out of my seat. That when you're in Christ, not only is he close to you, he's closer than close. Because he's in you and you're in him. You're, uh, in a very real theological way, you're indivisible of him. 
Because when you're in Christ, you're in Christ. And either we believe the work of Jesus is finished or we don't. Mm, mm, mm. I want to talk today just a little bit about the church. I call it the lamb's wife. We're going to talk about the lamb's wife today. I love the church. I think the church is God's best idea for the world. Jesus said in John 16, 7, it is to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, he will not come. Of course, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he came, the church was birthed. So you are God's best idea for your city. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that to me is exciting because that means God's got a plan for you. And so thinking about the church, we all make up that body. And you and I are challenged to believe God for his bride. There's a church not too far from me that has a big bulletin board, actually a billboard that says, we're a church for people who hate church. I'm not sure I've heard anything so stupid. It'd be like, Hey, Ken, I like you, man. Let's hang out. Let's go eat some cheesecake. Let's have coffee. But, you know, i got to tell you, I don't care for your wife too much. That wouldn't be really progressing to a close friendship. You understand what I mean? It's like, Jesus, man, you're awesome, but your wife is, she's kind of a drag. You know, we, we, we get these little cultural euphemisms that we think are cute but they're stupid Jesus loves the church we are his bride we are his body we are seated together in heavenly places with him today we're not we're not praying from uh, or for victory we're praying from victory we are the victorious in Christ And every time we read a scripture, every time we hear a story, every time we hear something like, when you do all these things, and immediately you disqualify yourself and say, well, I blew that one on the freeway this morning. Remember, Jesus did it for you. And in him, you've done it. Mm, 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 mm. I'm preaching better than you're listening, but we'll just keep, we'll keep it going. In, in Genesis 11, we get the story of the Tower of Babel. And you know the story, they, they, they've decided to build this edifice on their own, and, and, and they're engaging. And there's something very positive that we see in the word there. We see in verse number 6 of Genesis 11, the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. And you could say, man, look at what happens. I mean, if the world could get in agreement and do something amazing, what could we do if we're just speaking the same language? But here's the problem if we apply that to the church. We're speaking the same language. We get, this is a real, a real thing that happens, not here, but down the street, is that we speak Christianese, we're comfortable with each other, but not outside the building, 
And, you know, there's more hallelujah, praise God, glory to God than, hey, man, how's it going today? And we forget the culture that God has sent us to, to, in, you know, infect, if you will, the culture around us with the goodness and the unconditional nature of God's love. Most people in America today, and I say America because that's generally my context, but most people in America today, today just have this sort of overriding sense that God's frustrated or, or just outright mad at them. And uh, uh, several years ago, I just started preaching the right father. The good one, not the angry one. The happy one, not the, 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 the scowling one. Does that resonate with anybody today? God is good. We, we've said it today during worship, but, but how does that then translate into the way we think about life? And is God good to everybody? Even people that don't vote like us or dress like us or live near us. Does God love people? Because, man, I tell you, where we live, we're challenged to love people. All kinds of people. And what I realize is that when somebody gets saved, they're saved because they believe Jesus is their Savior, not because they believe Jesus is their Savior and they don't do heroin anymore. Because when Jesus is your Savior, that makes you saved. And hopefully, the other stuff will sort of go by the wayside, but sometimes that doesn't happen. And then sometimes we sort of in, interject ourselves into the process of wondering, well, why isn't that happening? And that should happen sooner. And sometimes it doesn't. So this is kind of where I landed a few years ago. It's my job to love people, not change people. And if I love people, then those people might be able to see that God could love them too. Because it's the goodness of God, not the threat of hell, that leads to repentance. And so, I don't know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a crazy ride, I'm telling you, but it's been amazing. I heard a guy say the other day that, that the church really needs to be like, like the, the X-Men Academy, where we accept mutants that are, that are hurting and broken and, and rejected, and like Dr. Xavier, we begin to speak beauty and life and value into them. And we tell them that they matter and that their voice needs to be heard. And we help them develop. And then we tell them, now it's your job to go out into the culture and collaborate with other mutants. Who are, pain, who are pained because they don't feel like they fit. And isn't that what allows us to have a connection with humanity is our pain and our brokenness. In some places, they feel like if you've got pain or brokenness, you must be doing something wrong. But I'm telling you, if you're on the front lines, sometimes you're going to feel that. And that gives you an entrance into the lives of people outside the building. God is challenging the church to reimagine who she could be if she just embraced who she is. 
Lots of times we just pretend like we think or we, we pretend to be the person we think a good Christian would be. Because we think that's what we're supposed to do. So we, we, we know how to say it. We know how to get by on Sunday morning. How you doing today? Oh man, I'm blessed. Woo, praise God. You can, you can see it on TV. Well, glory, God bless you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Turn in your Bibles. Praise God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. People come in from off the street like, what is going on in this place? This is like the twilight zone. God has called us to reach people that don't speak that language. And hey, I say those words, but I try to actually involve meaningful dialogue in there somewhere. We, we get into these habits and these phrases that we say that really mean nothing. I was in a meeting in Las Vegas, and, and I mean, it was a Holy Ghost meeting. And I come from, you know, my, my pedigree is Rama and ORU, so I know something about a Holy Ghost meeting. Two hours. And then the guy gets up there and goes, Woo, Holy Spirit, come. Come, God. I'm like, if he ain't been here already, I'm leaving. <laughs> you just wasted two hours of my time seeing y'all fools fall out and stuff. And he ain't here yet? What are we saying? He showed up when you got here. He showed up when you got here. Man, God wants to do some stuff, but he's, I think, challenging us to believe him for some radical things, things that, that we're not supposed to believe for. We have a, a young man on our staff who's, um, uh, um, he, he lost a leg a few years ago in, um, in a motorcycle accident, and he's having some issues with his prosthetic, and uh, so we're going to pray for him at staff meeting Thursday. So one of our staff pastors just starts praying that God would grow his leg out. And, you know, when you hear that, at first you're like, whoa. <laughs> and then you're like, wait, wait a minute. All things are possible to, to, to him that believe. With God, nothing is impossible. And I think we put these limits on ourselves or on God because we can't figure out how he could possibly do it. God's challenging the church. Our country's never been so divided. People have never been so unsteady and unstable. In the history of America, I think, at least in my life, I'm, I'm 22, but, you know. <laughs> you can lie in the pulpit here, right? I, it's one of my spiritual gifts. But it's time for the church to step into this. It's time for the church to step into her identity and be who God called us to be. The church is a wonderful place, and it needs to be a wonderful place for the hurting in our communities. We pastor in a little place that really used to be a place that you just ended up, you, nobody ever started out for, kind of like Denny's, you know. <laughs> That was our city. Right now, today, our unemployment is double the state average, probably at least that far over the national average. There's just a lot of crime and a lot of issues. And we just started a campaign a few weeks ago called Believe in Banning. And we have just been 
taken our city by storm for Jesus. Amen. And we just realized that, you know what, this is our city. We're no longer going to identify our city by her problems. And we're going to stop, by the way, praying for revival. Because, I mean, we've peeled the paint off the wall a few times. And God's like, what are you doing? It's like, we want revival. Would you get off your butt and send it? He said, I did send it. I sent you. And we got people coming into our city to church that don't live in our community. And they say, I don't, we don't know why we're here. I said, I do. I've been praying for you. I'm glad you, I had one guy say, you know, for two years, God told me to come to this church. I was like, man, you're a rebellious thing, aren't you? You better get in here. Now he's one of our worship leaders, worship pastor. So I just want to encourage you today that part of what this is about is collaborating, being part of a family, being part of the body, loving each other unconditionally, recognizing that God's love for us is without conditions. So I preach the, 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 the right father, the, the, the good one, the happy one, the loving one, the one that doesn't place conditions. I preach the right covenant, the new one, not the old one. And in the old one, I still preach the Old Testament, but man, Jesus is all up in there. We're going to see that a little bit today. And you know what? I started preaching the right man. Jesus, not me. Jesus, not you. We say salvation by faith, you know, by grace through faith, justification by faith. And then we roll right back around. We sing the songs just as you are without one plea. And then we tell them before they leave, listen, you got to square this away before you come back. I thought you said without one plea, just as I am. Well, yeah, that's before you get saved. Once you get saved, you know. You, you, gotta, you, you can't do that anymore. I, don't know, I know nobody in this room ever does this, but sometimes I act like I'm not saved. We preached at a marriage encounter yesterday in California. My wife had put some stuff in the back of my car to go down to the church. It had been there for, I don't know, I feel like it was there for weeks. She says just a few days. Three days in my car. Stuff. And so I was like, look, it, have the boys meet me in the parking lot, unload my car. So she's in the parking lot when I get there. So we're unloading this stuff. So I'm kind of grumbling about it. And I drop my phone and it breaks in the parking lot right before I'm going to go in and, and with her teach together on marriage. <laughs> and I know you won't believe this either, but the first thing I did is I blamed her. And the second thing I did was blame my son because I told her, call him and tell him to come out and, and, and help me. And she didn't. But when I saw him, I felt like it was his fault too. <laughs> so once we got, you know, got going and then, you know, I realized that it's my fault and not her fault, you know, I was like, man, I, I feel bad about that. And she's like, well, you know, you should. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
But in marriage, you love each other no matter what, right? Well, in this family, we love each other. We need each other. We count on each other. And when you're walking through life together, there's going to be some difficulty from time to time. So I just want to encourage you today that God's got a great plan for this house. This is his church. You are the church, but you make up this local body. And there is nothing more precious, I believe. And like Jade said, I like to be home. I enjoy being home. I enjoy being in our house. I enjoy sharing with our people. Uh, but I do like going other places and experiencing the culture and the dynamic in local congregations because I believe this is what God had in mind. And Paul gave his life to start groups just like this. I know there's the movement on that, you know, traditional church is kind of a thing of the past. I don't think so. Paul gave his life so people could gather together. And he established those churches and he went back to those churches to strengthen them. And so I just today want to come in agreement with what's been being taught here over the last several weeks. And I want to go into a message on giving. Now, I know this is our first date and all. So I don't want you to feel awkward that we're talking about giving. Remember, I'm leaving before you come back again. Um, but it's a big part of who we are. And like uh, they said earlier, you know, to partner with God in the earth is, a, is an honor. And remember, everything we do in Christ is always first a response to what he's already done. Right? So we're not trying to gain his favor by what we do. We're responding to his favor. You know, when I met my wife and I realized she loved me, and no matter what, and believe it or not, after 25 years, I don't look like I did when I met her. I was a young active duty Marine sergeant, and, you know, he's still in there somewhere, I feel. <laughs> but the fact that she loves me unconditionally means something to me. So I want to serve her. I want to give my life for her. I want to, you know, serve my family. And that's the same with God. And somewhere along the way, I think somehow we, we felt like his love was conditional. We felt like, well, you know, if you're not doing the right thing all the time, that, you know, you're going to be rejected. Can I tell you, nobody does the right thing all the time. I don't care who you are. You're not that good. And you're never going to be. And that's the point, though, right? Jesus came and took our place. And having faith in him means that we stand before the Father now as if we've never sinned. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? So I want to talk about this strengthening the church by embracing our identity. And I'm going to talk about giving here a little bit. Um, I had a friend who pastored a church not too far from ours, and he was so apprehensive to ever teach on giving or finances or prosperity or anything because the people in his church were poor. And this is what I told him. I said, listen, man, if you don't teach them the truth of God's word, then you're going to curse them to stay poor. I come from a long line of sharecroppers. I was born in Arkansas, raised in Mississippi. And I know one thing about the seed if the farmer never plants it, then you're going to be selling the farm because <laughs> you just mortgaged it to buy the seed. 
And God gives a seed. And, and so I'm going to get into this. I don't want to talk my, myself through it just yet. But understand, again, that we give because I came, again, I told you my background. I was taught that you're cursed with a curse if you don't. Now, I don't remember exactly if that came from one of those institutions I, I mentioned, but certainly in my Christian life, it did. And if you've been around church for more than a decade, I'm guessing you've heard it too. I've even heard this, the tithe is for your protection, but the offering is for your blessing. Can I tell you, neither of those are true. You're not cursed if you don't give. If you're in Christ, you are blessed. So we give now from blessing, not for blessing. I'm blessed. If you try to say, well, I don't have a new Lexus like, you know, my partner, let me tell you something. If you travel outside the U.S., you'll realize you're part of the 1%. And it can be relative, but I'm telling you, even if you're not seeing the movement, we don't have permission to change the theology. We don't have permission not to believe what the Word says. And so, let me clarify this too. Just because God doesn't curse the one that doesn't give, make no mistake, He does bless the one that does. Right? Seed time and harvest shall not cease. Genesis 8:22. So I want to take you now to the book of Genesis. We're going to talk about Melchizedek for a moment. Um, is that clock correct over there? That one on the sidewall? Okay. All right. I was told I had three hours, so that's all I, that's all I know. I will be on time. But in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, this is when uh, Abraham's coming back from the slaughter of the four kings. He's victorious. And then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. The interesting thing is the first words out of his mouth that are ever recorded in scripture is, blessed be Abram of God most high. The ministry Jesus has is one of blessing. If, if you know, in the book of uh, Genesis also, Joseph is a type of Christ. Benjamin is a type of the church. And the first time Joseph speaks to Benjamin in his quarters after they come back to Egypt, he's, he pronounces a blessing on him first thing he says the first 10 sons of Jacob were from Leah and the concubines that represents the law the next son is Joseph from Rachel Jesus and then Benjamin after Joseph the concubines and Leah never had another baby the point being is this is Jesus's ministry is to bless you not to curse you and so here we have Melchizedek, which is a Christophany, a Theophany. Maybe he's an actual guy, but he has no lineage, no beginning, no ending. So we assume that this is the, the foreshadowing of the ministry that Jesus has now had for 2,000 years after the order of Melchizedek. So understand, he had a three-and-a-half-year earthly ministry, but he's been in this ministry after the order of Melchizedek for 2,000 years. And he's only, Melchizedek's only mentioned in Genesis, Psalms, and Hebrews. So then he gets, so notice, he blesses him, brings out bread and wine, which we're going to have today. It, it's a foreshadowing of communion. 
He pronounces the blessing and then Abram tithes after he's blessed, not before. You know, I have a friend who went to a church. They had the $100 blessing line, the $500 blessing line. And don't get confused. This one's the $1,000 blessing line. And if you only got $100, do not find yourself in this one. That's not the God we serve. We are blessed already. And all we do now is we just respond. We respond to that blessing and partner with God. And again, this isn't about buying jet airplanes and, you know, bigger houses. This is about doing ministry. This is about touching the lives and the hearts of people with the love of God. So now let's go on here. Now the king of Sodom, who's a type of the devil, says to Abram, verse 21, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. It's almost like the, 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 the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I made Abram rich. Now listen to this. I think we have a slide. But the word tithe in that passage and the word rich in that passage Here these words are. This is the Hebrew. Now remember, Hebrew goes from right to left. And these are the English transliterations. Masa'er and Asha'er. And so what you see here is, this is interesting, the word rich is inside the tithe. You see that? Being rich isn't the point. It's a byproduct. It's, and, and again, it, that's a far-reaching word, right? It's, it's, it's not just, you know, being like what we might think in America, rich. But it's contained in seed form through the process. See, here's what God does. He blesses us. He encourages us. He increases us. Then he invites us to a process. And it's up to us. You may never give a tithe Until you die, you may not give a tithe. And let me tell you something. God loves you as much as somebody that's been tithing since they were five. And so the process is open. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. So then God comes again. He blesses. He increases. He encourages. And he invites into the process. Why? Well, because it's like a daddy teaching a child how to swim. Hey, listen, we've had fun, man. But now it's time to get the floaties off. And come on out to the deep. And the little boy's like, "Uh uh-uh. So you go back to the shallow, spend another day, take the floaties off the next day. Hey, it's time to come to the deep. Uh, uh, no. (laughs) And you know the father's never going to force that child. He's just going to lovingly invite. And sooner or later that child is going to say, you know what, let me try that. And then he never looks back. But God is that way with us. He blesses. He increases, he encourages, and then he invites. And it's the same with the tithe. It's the same with the process of giving. When Jesus made breakfast for Peter after his denial, and if you remember in Mark's account, the day of the resurrection, the angel said to the, to the ladies, you know, they were there looking for Jesus. The men were hiding and crying. The angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter gets called out by name from heaven Because God knew one thing. 
He knew how Peter felt after failing. Some of us maybe have felt that this week. Maybe you've done something and you're carrying guilt and shame. God knew Peter was in that situation, so he calls him by name. Tell the disciples and Peter. So they were there fishing in Galilee. And all of a sudden, they see somebody on the shore. They didn't make it out. Jesus says, throw your net over there. They do. They bring in all these fish. Peter had this revelation. That's Jesus. He jumps in the water. By the time he gets up there, Jesus had breakfast ready. He says, Peter, do you love me? He said, do you agape? Peter said, Lord, I phileo. I have brotherly love. He couldn't bring himself to say it. The guy that was beating his chest just days earlier couldn't bring himself to even say, I love you unconditionally. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then a few minutes he said, Peter, do you agape? And Peter said, Lord, you know, I phileo. He said, tend my sheep. And then Jesus did something that reverberates through eternity even today. He said, Peter, do you phileo? God will never force you to where he wants you to be. He'll always meet you where you are and walk with you. Whew. Peter said, you know that I do. And then he said, feed my sheep. God has the audacity to use people that we would consider disqualified. Anybody ever heard of the woman at the well? Jesus went out of his way to go to Samaria, a place he shouldn't have been, to talk to a woman he shouldn't have talked to, got into her mess, found out that she had been married, well, he already knew, but told her, read her mail, she had been married five times, now was living with somebody that she wasn't married to, and he had the audacity to send her into town to preach the gospel. <laughs> There's churches where you can't even usher till you've been there a year. Well, we're glad you're here. You got to go through this class and that and this orientation and that class and this thing and that. And then sometime next year, we'll, we'll let you pass the buckets. Shoot, with our turnover, I put people to work the next day. I, might, I ain't going to have them in three months. I got to get something out of them now. You want to sing? You want to preach? You want to pass a bucket? I'll put you to work. Jesus, send her into that city knowing good and well she was going to preach the gospel. And the Bible says that city came to Jesus because of her testimony. I'm messing with somebody, I know it. Let's look at what Jesus said about tithing real quick. In Luke eleven forty two, 42, he says, But woe to the Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So he was saying you ought to do the tithe. But you gotta, it's got to be out of love. You know, you're going through a religious motion thinking that that means something to me when if you don't have love in it, then it doesn't matter. It's not going to benefit you. It's not going to benefit anybody. And so I want to take just in, in, in our closing here, and this will be my first official close. I want to I take you to Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7. I want to take a, a closer look at, at Abraham here because we are the seed of Abraham, right? If you are in Christ, if you are Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? So Abraham tithed 
400 odd years before the law. So we know the, the, the tithe is outside the law. It was inside the law, but it started outside the law. Inside the law, it was compulsive. Outside the law, it was heart-driven. So we are of the seed of Abraham. And I think that if we are blessed with believing Abraham, we ought to know something about what that means. And so in verse 1 of of, uh, Hebrews 7, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, which is kind of shorthand for Jerusalem, I guess maybe it could be Tulsa, Jerusalem. I'm not sure. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Uh, first being translated king of righteousness, and then Melchizedek is two words making up uh, the, the, uh, the, the phrase king of righteousness. And then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, neither having beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Even to this day, Jesus is our high priest. Now watch this. I'm going to take you to chapter 5. I don't, this isn't on the overhead, I don't think, but just, so just bear with me. Chapter 5, verse 1, just one verse. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Now, there's no longer a sacrifice for sin because Jesus did that, the Bible tells us, once for all. So if you lose your cool on the freeway tomorrow, God's not going back to the cross for you. It's done. And I'll just tell you something that's gotten me in trouble more than once. You are forgiven. Past, present, and future. Believe it or not, he's good. We sing about him being good, but man, he's better than we think. His goodness will wreck church folks. And I think the church needs to wrestle with these things. And I'm not talking about accepting things that aren't uh, biblical and compromise. I I don't think Jesus ever compromised. But I shudder to think what would happen if somebody brought in a woman caught in the act of adultery to most churches today. I'm gonna quit meddling. Let me go, let me go to chapter 13, verse 15. Watch this. I know what you're thinking. Pastor Ken, you're going to give people a license to sin if you preach like that. You know what I found out in California, and I don't know if it's true here, there are unlicensed sinners everywhere. (laughs) People are sinning without a license, and it's unfathomable. It's unconscionable. The Bible says, The law is the strength of sin, not grace, not the finished work of Jesus, but the lie of the devil. Galatians 5, 4 says we fall from grace when we engage in self-righteousness. The moment you think you're doing it and God's impressed with you, then you just fell from grace, the Bible says. See, when you sin, you actually fall into it. It's hard to eat with your mouth full. 
or it's hard to speak, I guess, when you're with your mouth full. Hebrews 13, 15. I'm sorry, Jade. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's the gifts he still brings on our behalf. There's no more sacrifice for sins. That's done. That's established forever. And in Romans 5, Paul starts talking about what Adam did, the first Adam, and how what he did was was so far-reaching. And then he starts talking about the second Adam, which is Jesus. And he starts saying what he did is much more than the first. And I went to Bible or Sunday school with my grandmama down in a little stinky basement in her church. And they had a flannel graph, the, the latest technology. And they taught me that what Adam did was so powerful that no matter how good I was, I couldn't change it. That I needed a savior. So I received Jesus. And Paul said what Jesus did is much more than what Adam did. And, and the church, and I don't mean here, I mean the church has made what Jesus did much less. Because you get saved on Sunday, and then next Sunday we say, you better come up here and make sure you didn't lose that over the week. You better get up here and get re-righteous. If you couldn't change what Adam did with your works, you can't change what Jesus did with your works, even in reverse. See, when you're in Christ, you cease to be your own. What if I just run away from God and tell him to take a hike? Well, you're not your own. And God's got a different perspective. He's looking at you like a little five-year-old throwing a temper tantrum wanting to run away from home. Well, we're going to miss you. Make sure you take a, a jacket and some, some food. And then you're thinking, isn't that cute? He's so cute. He'll be back in an hour. He does this once in a while. God's like, hey, look at this. Isn't this cute? Look at this. Look at Jade. He didn't know he gets on his wife's nerves. Look at him. Isn't he cute? He's got a different perspective. And what he did was for keeps. He's a good God. I challenge you to to try to plumb the depths of his goodness. It's hard to do. In fact, it's impossible. Now, let me go back to chapter 7, if you'll just stop interrupting here for a minute. (laughs) Verse 4, now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. So now he's letting us in on something that the tenth confers greatness. It's a form of honor. I'll come around back to that in a minute. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from people according to the law, that is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Abraham was outside the law, Levi was inside the law, and so even though they were from him, they're inside the law fulfilling the law. Verse 6, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them or from men received tithes from Abraham, speaking of Melchizedek, and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. So Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. Now watch this. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is written that, or of whom it is witnessed that he lives. 
We're going to take communion over here in a moment. And nobody in the world today that I've ever met disputes that this table is for the church today. And in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul said Jesus told him that as often as you do this, you do so in remembrance of my death. So this is a remembrance of his death. But the Bible just told us that when we tithe, it's a remembrance of his life. Woo! We're witnessing that he lives and that we believe we're blessed and we believe we're in partnership and we believe our life matters and we believe we have purpose and we believe we have value and that he has invested in us to carry that out. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. Watch this. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. He's actually the grandson of Abraham. But watch what just happened. Levi got credit for being a tither because his granddaddy was a tither. So tithing is generational. You're setting a heritage and an inheritance and a godly lineage and things that that span decades and generations simply because we decide to take the simple notion of trusting God with the first. You know, my father went to heaven back in 2007 and he wasn't very, a very good father or a man until, and certainly not a husband until four years before he died. He got diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. We got on the An airplane went back to Mississippi, got him filled with the Holy Ghost, and he began to just feed his his spirit on the Word of God and on books written by, you know, great people. And he lived four more years. He used to tell me, hey, if I hit the lottery, I'm going to build you a church. I said, listen, man, because, you know, you can talk to family a little different. I said, listen, man, if you ain't giving God a dime on a dollar, you ain't giving him 10 million on 100 million. (laughs) That's just not how it works. He starts us where we are. If we can't be a blessing where we are, we're never going to be a blessing where we're not. Is that right? And so we have to have faith that he's blessed us in Christ where we are. Now, I'm just going to go to Deuteronomy and I'm going to be done. I'm going to show you now the result of the church's identity in Christ. And in the oddest place of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse number 10 and 11. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, we're not talking now about a piece of real estate because Jesus has fulfilled the prophecy. We're now talking about being in Christ. The land that he swore to them was Christ. Does that make sense? So now watch this. This is what he swore to them, to give you a large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Houses full of good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant when you have eaten and are full. Let me just synopsize that for you, if that's a word. It's finished. He did it for you. He said on the cross it is finished. So now in Christ, you walk in the finished work of Jesus. So now everything that you do emanates from that perspective. 
You're not trying to earn something from God. You're trying to walk in the realization of that, that he's already given us. He wants us to experience his goodness. Now, I'm going to leave you with one more thought. In Deuteronomy 28, it's not on the overhead. And if, again, if you've been in certain circles, this, is, this became an anthem for you. In verse 1, Deuteronomy 28. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments. Somebody say, all of them. Well, I would just quit reading right there. And if you know, there's like 14 verses of blessing and like a thousand curses. It's like, okay, I get it already. And if, you, if you're not careful, if you slip back into a not finished yet work of Jesus, you'll read that and immediately disqualify yourself from all this blessing. All the commandments which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. In Christ, you have finished that. In Christ, you have fulfilled every requirement. It's not in you. Stop looking at you. You're not the center of the gospel. Jesus is. It is time that we put him in the middle and get us out of our theology. And let me tell you, when that revelation settles on you, you don't want to go live like hell. You want to walk with him closer. It draws us in. This is what he knew. This is why Paul was beaten, bloodied everywhere he went. He was stoned in a place called Lystra. The next day, he gets up, goes back to, down to, to another city called Derby, and then in a couple days goes back to Lystra to strengthen the church. I would have been like, you know what? That church can go to hell over there. I ain't going back up in that place. They killed me the other day. The reason they stoned him, the reason the devil buffeted his life is because he was carrying a message of unconditional love and grace. And he even told the Galatians, who has bewitched you so quickly that you would go back to believing that somehow you could earn this? Don't be bewitched. Because this is, I mean, if we're not having fun, we're doing it wrong. If we're not at peace with God's love for us, if you don't know you're his favorite and you're not annoying the people around you, start. It's fun. So I want to take you into communion now. How do we, do we serve this? Do people come up? Okay. All right, let's go ahead and prepare for that. We are going to declare the Lord's death until Monday during the eclipse. And then as long as it takes after that, right? <laughs> Those things never cease to amaze me. It's an exciting time to be alive, I'm telling you. Don't despair. Don't distress. Your best days are ahead of you. Let me say that again. Your best days are ahead of you. Darkness covers the earth. Gross darkness the people. But God is shining on you. When the slaves were in the land of Goshen, the Bible says that it was so dark the, the, the pharaohs wouldn't even move around in their house. But there was light in the land of Goshen. I want you to know something today that the body of Jesus represents something for you and your family. He wants you well in your body. He wants you well in your mind. He wants you well in your, your, your psyche. He wants you well emotionally 
by the blood and the body of Jesus, we can walk in wholeness today. So I want you to understand that Jesus did this for us. By his stripes, we are healed. Amen. And here's something if you're, if you're over 70, there's no expiration date. Don't think, oh, well, you know, I'm 75. There's no reason, reason to pray for healing. Oh, yes, there is. You ain't done yet. And, you know, our church decided a few weeks ago to go after a forgotten demographic. And used to, that was, you know, the, the, the millennials and whatever they called them then and all the young people. You know who it is now in church in America? People over 50 and 60. What I realize about the young people, which is one of the fastest growing parts of our church, they don't know nothing. They need help. They need the seasoned veterans of life to pour into them. Everybody's got a role. Everybody's got a purpose in the family. So it's time that we rise up to that. But we can receive today by faith the finished work. And again, in a very real theological way, this healing was done 2,000 years ago. And all we have to do is just receive. So Father, we thank you today for the body of Christ and what this symbol represents today. His body was beaten and bloodied. Isaiah says he was unrecognizable as a man. Lord, we thank you because that seems to be a fringe benefit. It was the blood that we needed so desperately to cover our sin. But you gave your body so we might be well so today in faith we receive and every name that is named must bow its knee to the name of Jesus there was no asterisks there was no exclusions you covered them all and you obliterated them all so we receive today by faith in Jesus name you may partake